So today uh, we're going to go further into the long discussion of views, action, path in Buddhism, mainly drawn from the website puradhamma.net. Last time we started in a section called the Way to Nibbana, Removal of Asavas. And um, the word asava has multiple translations, as usual. And in Buddhism, I sent a second link on Wikipedia. Uh, some Pali suttas talking about early early Buddhism talks about three asavas. Some talk about four. We still understand that there are ten fetters that are broken along the path of the ten the, the ten fetters broken on the path to nibbana or the path to complete and perfect enlightenment. Uh, going through four uh, stages of successive awakening from Sotapanna to Arahan. And so there's a correlation, and that's where we're going to get into today, the correlation between um, removal of the asavas and the four stages of awakening. And so uh, <clears throat> the page Way to Nibbana, Removal of Asavas, uh, begins, we talked about the last last time, the first section, uh, how, what, what Gautama awoke to, special knowledges awoken in him uh, at the time of awakening when he became, you know, Siddhartha became Buddha Gautama. And the last was <clears throat> a special vision with which he was able to destroy all cankers or defilements, uh, which is a Savakaya Yana. And if we go to the Wikipedia page on Asava, you see that there are many translations. Certainly we can say mental defilement. The term canker, like a sore, is actually not that helpful, I believe, because it makes it think that, like, uh, my mind is some kind of diseased uh, tissue rotting and, and breaking up. And yet, <clears throat> um, these are tendencies of mind that are harmful. And they're very much associated with um, flow, with, with movement, inflow, outflow. So asava can also be translated as outflows or inflows. And so one way I'm trying to, I'm trying to get some, you know, a concise definition, I would say distorted mental, uh, from distorted fermenting mental flow or distorted mental flow. And it is very much mental, or associated with samskara, or fermentations, fabrications, fashionings, mental, comp mental compositing, mental process, uh, particularly associated with desire and aversion. Uh, and so the typical three asavas are desire for sensual pleasure, craving for existence, and basic ignorance. Uh, they can be called, and this is from the Wikipedia, karmic predilections, karmic propensities, or what keeps karma rolling, what keeps the wheel of karma spinning. And so, uh, inflow further down, and you see what's happening now is Wikipedia, written by whoever, who knows who's writing these pages or the different people, are taking a lot of Western translators or Western interpreters' view um, when they're not necessarily as sophisticated as um, scholar monks <laughs> like Tanisaro Bhikkhu 
or uh, guys who studied in, in Sri Lanka, like um, the man who wrote Puridhamma.net. Um, you can say inflow, influence, influx, as well as outflow. Um, and just a moment. Uh, <clears throat> translators like Da Silva and uh, Carr and Mahalingam, Mahalingam, um, I think are a little bit academic, and I would be careful with some Western academics translations of any Buddhist terms and suttas. I would think that it's a little bit more helpful to uh, look at what the scholar monks have to say because they've been doing a lot of meditation, <laughs> and they've been there under the tutelage of um, supposedly, presumably, uh, Buddhist teachers who've achieved uh, any of the four stages of awakening. Uh, but surely um, these distorted mental flows, as Bhikkhu Bodhi write, um, they bring renewal of existence, they give trouble, they ripen in suffering, they lead to birth, aging, death, and um, are tendencies of mind and flows that are associated with grasping and aversion and uh, are removed on the path successively to Nibbana. And so the section, how four stages of Nibbana are connected to the four asavas, this is one Buddhist presentation where there is a fourfold classification, others use three. Number one point he writes, we all have four major types of asavas, even though there are uncountable minor varieties. Uh, Ditta sava is a category that's due to all kinds of false beliefs, michaditi. For example, if someone doesn't believe in rebirth, there may be cravings such as I need to enjoy everything before I die. In fact, that's a very common one. Kama sava, kama meaning uh, desire, associated with sense pleasure, so it's particularly physical desire, which could be the sense pleasure of, you know, what, food, drink, sex, smoking, uh, luxury, silk, and, uh, you know silk, high, bed, whatever, but it's any kind of um, attachment at the physical, material level um, that that um, <clears throat> it may or may not be problematic. <laughs> it may be very problematic, it may not be. And so people, you know, we, we would say, I would think that in general, um, our main type of asava or distorted mental flow is associated with the third, bhava-sava, craving for any type of existence. And this is a common understanding, say, uh, he writes, say, as a human deva, brahma, any living being in any realm, craves for existence. Actually, we're talking about mental experience, I believe. And um, it's interesting that he doesn't understand that or he doesn't make that point. Because I think bhava, as a term for beingness or existence or experience, is really the typical craving for a changed, for a particular mental state. It's mental craving for mental, um, mental satisfaction or fulfillment, um, which is generally like, I want to be in a certain state of mind. I don't want uh, anger and sorrow, and grief, and longing, and fear, and self, you know, self-doubt, or confusion. I don't want those mental states. 
And that's where arises the notion of, quote, negative emotions, which is a complete mistake to call any emotion positive or negative. But there certainly are mental states that are helpful, and there are mental states that are harmful, but we can learn from both. And this, to me, is the primary type of asava that keeps us in trouble. Uh, because dittasava, the first, um, is the, basically the craving or clinging or um, defilement f- mental flow associated with wrong view. We went into that already. If one doesn't have a materialist view, one um, has an acknowledgement of the reality of, or the, at least the possibility that indeed uh, we're living multiple lives, there is karmic consequentiality, uh, there is moral, there is morality in terms of action with love or without, or activity uh, that includes love, wisdom, and harmless, in, based on, you know, that, that leads to harmlessness or not. All right? There is action that's harmful and there is action that's not harmful. And sometimes the determination is difficult, but in many cases it's not that difficult. And so... Uh, pushing people or uh, imposing our will on other, right? So harmful action equals infringement. But infringement can be very subtle. It doesn't just mean, you know, kidnapping someone or, or uh, you know, harming them physically. It can also mean interrupting them in a conversation. It can also mean unwillingness to listen. It can also mean an unwillingness to see uh, another's process in ways that... Um, that contradict how we want to see them, an attachment to to uh, opinion, attachment to attitude and opinion about people or about how to live. And so um, there's all sorts of ways of infringement, um, which is basically a manipulation of reality or a non-acceptance of reality. So it gets very, very subtle um, in terms of uh, falling into a harmful activity, but um, if there is some sense that indeed there is activity that's helpful and harmful, and indeed I'm going to live beyond uh, death of the physical body, and indeed there is a path, even if it's all empty and illusory, yeah, there's a path, there are seven chakras, the sky, you know, the rainbow has seven colors, yeah, that means something, you know. Um, then if, if we have that sense of um, a spiritualized view, spiritual view, right view, then we're not really falling heavily into Michaditi. The real challenge, I think, is, is uh, bhava-sava and the unwillingness to accept as is um, what we don't like in the mind. Uh, the fourth type of asava, if we're talking about four, is... Avidya, which is avidya, which is ignorance. Avidya sava, which is a kind of, um, again, um, it, we're not just talking about asava as a craving. We're really talking about asava as a distorted mental flow. So distorted mental flows associated with ignorance can become can be can manifest as you know I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to look at it. I mean, not want to deal with it is one thing, but I don't want to see it <laughs> is the problem. The three monkeys, right? Uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. There is a um, a blind monkey, um, uh, well well active in New Age communities. That blind monkey 
or that um, avoidant monkey is where people want positive uh, thinking and don't want to see the shadow, don't want to see what they call negative emotion, their own. Or um, they want to think the best. Well, I, I want to think the right. I want to acknowledge what is as much as possible rather than fall into optimism, you know, a false optimism or a false pessimism. But here it's written, Ajiva Sava is all cravings that arise due to ignorance, <laughs> but if the tenth fetter is ignorance, avidya, basic avidya, and that's the only thing, that that's the root of all other troubles, and that's the fi that's unachieved or broken only by arahant fourth stage, then everything, <laughs> all distorted tendencies or or karmic formation, comes out of avidya. So you know Buddhism, they 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 over categorize and sometimes um, fall into specifics that that forget the general. So here it's written as all cravings due to ignorance, ignorance of the noble truth of suffering, um, which is the first noble truth, and he writes, which is not merely suffering itself and other noble truths. <laughs> so, okay, every asava arises from avidya, and every asava is in play because we're not fully enlightened, okay, and only the person who's fully enlightened knows fully the Four Noble Truths, and particularly the truth of suffering. And indeed, suffering is more than just what he writes as suffering itself. So, you know, everything has to be unpacked to be explained. Um, in Buddhism, the word for suffering is dukkha, and suffering is a lousy translation. It's more so called stress, or I would say uh, disturbance, <laughs> stress stressed mind and even pleasure is dukkha or sukha is dukkha because it's impermanent and empty and so then that's a whole longer talk and we will talk about the three marks um, in a deeper way as we uh, go on in future weeks here and so these are the four types of asava in this fourfold categorization point number two he goes on and says the four types of major asavas are removed in a step-by-step -step process as one proceeds on the path. Even before the Satipanna, or first level awakening stage, one will be reducing them, but those reductions do not hold to future lives. Uh, I don't know why that would be. Um, I would think that they affect future lives, of course, but they're not a guarantee of um, avoiding lower realms. So I'm not sure what he means, but the reductions and asavas don't hold to future lives. Obviously, karmic flow continues, and if you plant good seeds and you're not satipana, then you will reap good fruit uh, even before you achieve satipana. But um, before satipana, um, there particularly is a wrong view of self that is not yet broken. And satipana breaks. He wrote. We wrote. We talked about this before. That, that particularly it's, it's um, wrong views that are broken at Satipana, meaning the only one that really has right view um, grounded in, in embodied experience, they really know right view, the only one that would know that is Satipana. And everybody else is trying to get to a right view or you know, may know it intellectually but hasn't really lived right view yet. And particularly the right view that any view of self is, is mistaken. Any view of self comes from avidya. And what the self is, is not capturable 
or expressed in any view of self or identity. He goes on, when one attains such upon a stage, all four types of asavas that could trigger a payagami, um, a paya of the lower realms, or the four troubles, trouble places you don't want to be reborn in, um, all types of all four types of asavas that could trigger a payagami actions are permanently removed from one's mind, meaning the tendencies in mind that lead to rebirth in the lower realms, meaning animal, hungry ghost, hell realm, and um, um, ashura or negative. You know what seems to be four D negative. <laughs> Uh, lower in the sense that it's even more suffering than human the human stage. So these four types, um, all the four types of asavas, or those mental distorted mental flows associated with these four categories of asava, those that um, lead to rebirth in those painful, greater painful realms are permanently removed, and only at at sotapanna. and that's a big diff- that's a big deal. And he said, i.e., one will never be reborn in the four lowest realms. Ditasava, meaning uh, um, defilements of wrong view. Those due to wrong views are completely removed, and that's the big deal. And so there's thought, word, and deed. <clears throat> By the nature of thought comes one's um, uh, speech and, and action. So thought, word, deed, word and deed, uh, action, and speech come out of thought. And while speech and action, wrong action, wrong speech, are particularly heavy karmically, um, in certain ways less than thought, yet <laughs> distorted thought leads to those, yet distorted thought need not lead to them, and that's called the value of restraint. And so one can acknowledge distorted thought, or bhava-sava, actually, which generally is associated with uh, not one, you know, um, having desires and aversion that leads to harm to self and other, tendencies that harm self and other. Um, one can acknowledge them and decide not to speak them nor act physically upon them. And so, and the Ra talked about that exactly, saying that um, whatever, you know, if you have desires that d- don't accord with the law of one or infringe on the free will of other, which is called harmful speech and action, better to do it in your imagination. And no problem, live it through in your imagination. But don't let it come out in speech indeed. And so, <clears throat> um, that, that is, um, definitely helps to break bhava-sava, or attachment to mental states, mental preference, which is, I don't want to face this stuff in myself. Um, and that's, you know, uh, fear of the shadow kind of stuff, and spiritual bypass, and overcoming, and defense mechanism avoidance. So, um, this, this um, analysis of the, the transformation of mind, I'm going to call it, sometimes called mental purification, um, is um, very deeply rooted in psychology and transpersonal psychology. I mean, this is transpersonal psychology. This is Buddhist transpersonal psychology. Um, to acknowledge the tendencies in mind that are harmful to self and or other that arise ultimately due to ignorance and are associated with grasping and aversion, craving and and uh, aggression, uh, and be able to 
um, see them as they are without leading to speech and action that harms self and other. <laughs> so that's the first stage, sotapanna, that basically wrong views are knocked out and uh, one will never be uh, attached to materialist wrong view. So at the Sakadagami, which means once returner stage, Kamasava and Bhavasava are reduced. And a Sakadagami, meaning once returner, will be born only as a deva or above in future lives. A Vijasava is also reduced. So what's reduced but not yet fully eliminated, and even the second stage of awakening, is a desire for sensual pleasure or physical desires or physical or mental tendencies associated with physical grasping and aversion. And mental tendencies, asava, defined distorted mental tendencies, associated with um, preferen mental preference or grasping and aversion in mind. So kama as desire, like raga, kama raga, desire, you know, desire, I mean, basically physical attachment tendencies. And so we can say grasping and aversion at the physical level. Bhava is grasping an aversion, or bhava means, you know, beingness or existence, but the uh, asavas of bhava, <laughs> bhava-sava, is basically the mental distortions, flows, tendencies, associated with uh, grasping an aversion in mind. And uh, that can only be fully eliminated when one um, really has great dispassion at mind. You know, it's easy to say, I know I'm not this body, I will continue after the body falls to the dirt. How about I know I am not mind? This uh, personality, this incarnation, all personalities of all incarnations, all mental tendency is not what I am. I am the one that uses mind. I am not the mind. Now, that can go into psychosis, but not necessarily. And so, um, this can go to depersonalization, dissociation, psychotic process, autistic process, um, but not necessarily. <laughs> That's what uh, psychology doesn't get, and transpersonal psychology does get, which is that spiritual emergence, or spiritual awakening, is um, a... Um, is a um, love-light-based depersonalization process. Uh, Love-wisdom-based depersonalization is freedom from false selfhood. <laughs> That's the way out of duality to unity. And so, uh, even the second stage of awakening, and this is important um, to consider, even the second stage of awakening, Buddhist arhats, you know, Buddhist monks, or regular folks or wanderers, um, who are even beyond so uh, Sotapanna and could be called once returner, who will never have to be um, born at a human level, don't have to be in third density ever again. And how that relates to wanderers is a little different because wanderers can choose to be in third density. You know, if wanderers, six density wanderers, are choosing to be in third density, does that mean that they're only Sotapanna? No, I don't think so, because a late six density wanderer is probably akin to third stage awakened Anagami. Because once you get to seventh density, um, you're pretty much home. Um, there's no trouble whatsoever. It's just a matter of time, and um, the the path um, is is dissolving into um, totality, 
uh, in seventh density. There's the sense of path is really over in seventh density, so it's nearly the same. It's sort of midway between uh, third stage, third and fourth stage, I would say. So anyway, at Sagatakami, once returner, um, the person still has um, desire at the physical level, to grasping an aversion at the physical and grasping an aversion at the mental. Uh, third stage, then Anagami, he writes, Kamasava are completely removed at the Anagami stage, meaning there's no more grasping and aversion at the physical level. Maybe they can inv enjoy the taste of food, but there's no more longing for food. Same thing with sex and sleep and substances and touch <laughs> and uh, cuddling uh, and all sorts of things. Um, the being has no more grasping and aversion associated with all that physicality. Kamasaba desire or, you know, um, mental distortion flows associated with physical desiring or physical grasping and aversion, anything at the physical level, body. Completely removed at Anagami stage, thus one will never be reborn in Kamaloka. Mm -mm -mm. Including the Deva realm again, meaning Kamaloka as the third of the three Lokas, meaning what looks to me like third density, but includes third density time space, which includes 3.7 which includes the highest levels of the astral plane where where great, great beings are. Um, one doesn't have to be reborn there because it's still third density. Then one is only reborn in, you know, fourth or fifth or sixth density. Uh, one will never be reborn in Kamaloka, including Deva realm, and so then it's a matter of how you call Devas. Um, that, that's another story. Bhavasava and Avijasava also reduced, but not finished. So even third stage awakened beings who don't have any more physical uh, grasping and aversion or mental um, distorted flows, tendencies associated with physical desire and aversion still have it at the mental level. And there's still some clinging and craving to what? Joy, <laughs> love, clarity, equanimity, peace, you know? Yeah, sure, that's attachment it's called attachment to, ha to happiness. <laughs> attachment to uh, higher dimensional sukha. Yep, they still have that. Then, finally, here, <clears throat> bhava-sava and avidya-sava are removed without a trace at arahant stage. Thus, asava-kaya becomes complete, meaning um, removal of asavas or mental tendencies associated with, you know, distortions and attachments at the physical level, body, distortions and attachments at the mental level, uh, and any kind of wrong view, but that's been long gone. And so <clears throat> um, it takes a long, long time. <laughs> and you really can't, in a certain sense, we're saying what I, what I see here is that even beings in sixth density have some degree of um, attachment, clinging, craving, uh, desire, grasping, aversion uh, at the mental level even though they're in sixth density. And you can say, well, why did the Confederation do what it did with uh, what? With uh, Yahweh genetic intervention, raw creation of the Giza Pyramid, uh, Tesla green-lighted to come in, all these things that have been used by Orion-led human Illuminati service to self 3D negative repeaters. Um, 
all of those activities of intervention in the 3D cycle that led to grievous consequences and all sorts of trouble because <laughs> they still have their blind spots. They didn't sit long enough with their teachers in late sixth density, other teachers who are, you know, not making such activity. Uh, and they have blind spots because they have preference still in sixth density and saw what they wanted to see rather than saw fully what is, what was, or the potency of uh, individual and collective distortions in humanity, you know, <laughs> in Atlantis and uh, post-Atlantis. They had blind spots. And so even third stage awakening, <clears throat> Anagami, uh, has blind spots because they still have uh, Baba Saba and mental distortions and flow uh, associated with grasping and aversion. And um, they grasped what they wanted and averred what they didn't. And were green-lighted, yep, by the council and the logos, and yet um, got them, got, got uh, you know, we could say made some trouble down here on the ground <clears throat> by basically empowering service-to-self groups <laughs> with these uh, higher-dimensional technology transfers. So, how about that? He goes on, removal of asavas starts with the removal of bad habits and cultivating good habits. And then he has many pages on that. And <clears throat> since our time is okay, uh, let's go to the next section. And the next section is, is there a connection between Nibban and Kama? And that's good, because before we got into the discussion of asavas, we talked about Kama, and we will again. And so now we're making the linkage between uh, Kama, karmic-based um, asavas, or mental distortions, defilements, that need to be purified on the path to Nibbana. And so Kama gets us stuck, and Kama gets us free. Or by activity, uh, by change of the viewpoint, less limit in the viewpoint, as Ra said, right? The distortions as all due to limit, limited viewpoint, limits in the viewpoint, session 99, the, the viewpoint becomes less limited. Core beliefs about self and world and uh, core values uh, are purified, are transformed, are brought more fully into love light or love wisdom uh, resonance. <clears throat> and as that happens, um, bad habits or these asabas um, further erode, decay, degrade, and one achieves uh, successive stages of awakening, um, as well as harvests to successively higher dimensions on the positive path. So, uh, connection between Nibban and Kama, point one. He writes, <clears throat> Many people have the misconception that, quote, one needs to deplete all kama, karma, to attain nibbana. He goes on. First of all, kama or sankara. Shamkara is the third. Is samskara same? First of all, kama <clears throat> or sankara are actions, and that actions and that have been done or that have been done, either in this life or previous lives. While some of the comic power associated with them can be removed by metta bhavana. <clears throat> meaning um, loving activity or the you know real heart chakra activated um, speech and deed and and thought uh, 
some of the comic power associated with these actions can be removed by metta bhavana, for example, some kama bija, meaning karmic seeds, good, good and bad, due to these kama may still be there at the time of attainment of nibbana. How about that? <clears throat> and so, um, an arahan, or fully enlightened being, or what, a sixth density entity that's ready to go to seven, uh, may still have karmic seeds, good and bad, um, at the time of their you know entry to seventh density, or movement into complete and perfect enlightenment, or movement out of the octave. <clears throat> That's interesting. It's not that, I mean, this is the Buddhist view. It's not that uh, all past life tendencies have been destroyed or eliminated or go to zero. It's, it's um, what is um, how the mind reacts. And he'll explain. He wrote, <clears throat> writes, even the Buddha had 11 Kama Vipaka left. <laughs> Kama Vipaka mean cause effect, cause effect um, pairs. Even the Buddha had 11 Kama Vipaka left remaining that resulted in backaches and an ulcer like ailment close to Parinibbana, among others. How about that? Because in order to get rid of kama seeds associated with a given kama, the other being associated with that kama seed needs to be able to receive the merits of bhavana, metta bhavana, i.e. that being need, his English is not great, that being needs to have a state of mind with aloba, adosha, amoha, which means no greed, no ignorance, uh, no greed, no anger, no ignorance. <clears throat> going on, but some of those beings may be trapped in the Niraya hell for long times and may not even have a moment of relief to receive such merits. So this is like <laughs> super intricate. I will discuss this in a separate post, but the key idea discussed in transfer of merit, how does it happen? What in the world is that all about? Well, <clears throat> uh, I didn't know this, and I assume this comes from the Pali Canon, the story that Gautama may well have indicated publicly and said that he still had these 11 karmic seeds um, from the past remaining that resulted in trouble, <clears throat> backaches and an ulcer, or something like that. Uh, we know that Mahamogalana uh, died of after being beaten by a mob because um, even though he flew around and could have, he levitated freely, but um, knew he had to a certain point get what was coming to him, <clears throat> but he was already an Arhan. So he died beaten by the mob, even though he was an Arhan, because some past seeds remained. And the seed, I think, was that he killed his parents once or several times in past lives, which is considered super heavy karmic liability. Um, so, <clears throat> so Gautama... Um, and this this is, you know, another way when we analyze great beings, great masters, so-called great masters' lives, why they don't have a, a beauteous face and perfect radiant health from, from start to finish. Because they're still um, manifesting in body, mind, particularly body, um, past comic seeds. So there are some great teachers who are ugly. <laughs> there are some great teachers who have bodily ailments all their life. There are some great teachers who get cancer and die of cancer. 
there are other teachers that we think are great, but they still have um, certain tendencies of mind associated with Asava. They're not actually Arahan. <clears throat> and they still have um, whatever, who knows, right? <laughs> they may be second stage, they may not even be Sotapanna. They may have helped you a lot, but they may not be Sotapanna, which means they have some wrong view still. <laughs> like teachers who think that ego is a real thing. So, be careful. <clears throat> Just because you think he's great doesn't mean he is, but if it helps you, it's great. It's great to be helped, but don't attribute greatness to your teacher when you cannot see his metaphysical signature, the metaphysical profile. Be careful about idealizing <clears throat> when you don't really need to. So, the point is that, particularly in body, uh, Gautama spoke about um, nirvana with remainder. The very embodiment, the very fact that a being is embodied, is karmic remainder. And that's uh, the remainder that manifests as can this embodiment. That embodiment may indeed get illness, like even Gautama had, you know, pathology of backaches. Why? Well, I don't know, but <clears throat> some kind of karmic seeds uh, remaining even though it's his last birth, uh, coming out as some kind of physical pathology. Um, and so, now, uh, the teacher here, Lal Aryatna, is saying, um, in order to get rid of karmic seeds associated with a given kama, the other being associated with that, and this is a deep, old theory, that <clears throat> if it's... Um, karmic, if, if it's a karmic you know um, liability carried through lives associated with relation to other something like the other one who was, you know the, the object of your transgression the object of your wrong speech, wrong action <clears throat> needs to be able to um, need, needs to have some kind of love based rectification um the other being associated with that comic seed needs to be able to receive the merit of um, metabhavana or loving-kindness meditation, it seems. And <clears throat> they have to be free of um, um, three poisons to some degree in that state of mind. So this is like, what? So we're talking about <laughs> uh, if, if Gautama this is really esoteric and I can't get into it too much, but if, if the being that we hurt can receive our um, focused loving-kindness transmission, meditative transmission, then we may not have to go through the karmic sea. We, we may <clears throat> not lo no longer have a karmic seed and so yet <laughs> that other being that we would need to transmit merit to in the way of um, metta bhavana in the way of like Brahma Vihara meditation or sending them love and light needs to be in a state of mind so that they can receive it so that we can be free of that karmic seed that doesn't mean we are held back from awakening, but it means the karmic seed will or won't be eliminated, in this view, 
by whether or not we do the practice to send them to transfer merit and that the other being that probably is suffering too because when we hurt them they deserved it and when we're getting hurt we deserve it too right that's called karma they the other may or may not be in a state of mind where they can receive the transfer of merit therefore we may not be able to get rid of the karmic seed and he writes that that some of those beings may be trapped in Niraya for a long time, meaning they're in hell for a long time. <clears throat> so the agents that listen here, if there are any still here, um, you may be trapped in hell for many centuries. And uh, the people you look up to and the people you hurt um, may be with you. <laughs> hey, hey. And uh, we'll get more into that when we look at uh, Astral City and the Hell Realm phase. But this is a very esoteric point and... Um, the notion that uh, persistent karmic seeds that don't prevent us, that may not prevent us from complete and perfect awakening, yet remain present unless we transfer merit or send love light sufficiently to the one we wronged, the ones we wronged, and they're in a certain state of mind sufficient or capable of receiving that transfer of merit, love light, radiation transmission uh, <clears throat> but they may not be in the mind to receive and we may not be in the mind to send therefore the karmic seed remains what one can still attain complete and perfect awakening so karma is that complicated I've never heard this notion of um, bhavana you know metta bhavana getting rid of karmic seeds and others having to be receptive <clears throat> to um, receive that merit transmission uh, Mahayana and uh, Vajrayana, they get into that stuff more, but um, there are people who are trapped in hell for a long time <clears throat> in a very damaged state of mind, and we may be carrying certain karmic seeds all the way up to complete and perfect awakening. Point number two, I'll go, I'll finish this page today. <clears throat> Sorry for my karmic seed throat cough. Number two, what really happens is that when asavas are removed, the akusala mula pachitcha samupada, oh my god, at vedana pachanatana step changes to vedana pachaya adimoka. Anyway, let's not read that. <clears throat> um, what he's saying is that um, when these four types of asavas are fully removed, um, one stage in the 12 stage um, Patitra Samapada dependent origination uh, <clears throat> uh, changes from Tana to Adimoka. Tana is thirst and craving. Uh, Adimoka, I don't actually know. But uh, the point is that there is no movement to further becoming when craving is eliminated. Craving, tana, thirst. <clears throat> Actually, um, yeah, craving or thirst is tana. That leads to clinging or grasping, basic clinging or attachment, which is upadana. That forms, that comes out as grasping and aversion. So, I want it and I hate it, or I must have it and I cannot have it. Grasping and aversion. Uh, <clears throat> are forms of attachment or clinging, upadana, which come out of craving or thirst, which is tana, 
and these are stages in the cycle of Paticca or dependent arising. And when Tana is gone, and um, one is free of craving or thirst, then Bhava doesn't occur. A certain kind of, he said, when Arahant dies, there's no Bhava grasped by the mind, <clears throat> therefore there's no Jati or birth. And this also is very interesting because it, it su- suggests that what we call mind or sentience or awareness, what's called mind here, which we can uh, expand or or um, we can we, we can really understand that mind is sentience. It's the very vibratory potential of love light or light love, uh, intelligent energy itself. The very vibratory nature, <clears throat> or the very nature <laughs> of intelligent energy itself is intelligent, and that intelligence is called mind, or it coalesces into mind. Body, mind, spirit uh, becomes um, unbound, sentient intelligence or presence. Unbound, uh, bright, active, uh, sentient awareness. Unbound, uh, not identified with anything, um, knowing itself as all, knowing that all things is itself, with the capacity for um, vibration and activity. And that is um, infinite awareness or cosmic awareness, which is not grasping bhava <laughs> when one goes into seventh density or eight. Meaning, <clears throat> um, when an arahant dies or when, goes, when one goes into eighth density or perhaps seven. Um, the mind is no longer grasping a potential existence to um, to to resonate with. There, there's for resonance. There's no. There's nothing to grasp to. The, there, there's no becoming perceived. There's no perception of a further state. Uh, and thus, there's no jati or birth. And then the entity is free of the octave. Okay, <clears throat> three. Thus, an arahant could have many unspent kama bija, both good and bad, left or remaining. But his her <laughs> at that point, there's no his or her. But that being's mind has lost craving asava to grasp any of them. Now here he's calling asava craving. That's not exactly correct because craving is really tana, and there is no asava stage in in the twelve step dependent origination. There's only craving. Tana, leading to clinging attachment, Ubadana, leading to grasping and aversion, um, particularly of, you know, seeking uh, at levels of body-mind. And, um, but there's certainly no more Tana, there's no more thirst arising, there's, there, there's no longer a perception of thirst. Therefore there's no clinging, therefore there's no grasping and aversion, therefore there's no ba- there's no further becoming, there's no further bhava uh, perceived or available or arising for incarnation or experience. It's the end of experience. Now that's not too different in seventh density, but um, it is interesting that indeed uh, a being may have. This is Buddhist theory. You can disagree if you're in seventh density and you know better. Uh, there are many 
unspent Kamabicha comic seeds, good and bad, that may remain, um, but there's no grasping and aversion. They arise, they pass away. That's very much akin to Ra talking about distortion leavings. The arising of distortion leavings in mind and in symptomology, right? That's called a healing crisis or a catharsis. The arising of symptomology and the arising of um, distorted distortion leavings or fragmentary tendencies of, of love and hate, really grasping and aversion in mind, <coughs> um, these will continue through, you know, um, the end of sixth density, or at least in third density for sixth density wanderers. Uh, we still may experience, we will, you know, body symptomology and mental distortions. Uh, uh, not only uh, we're continuing to grasp and, and aver, but we also, when we uh, have done deeper detachment and purification with love and wisdom, uh, these distortion leavings or fragmentary tendencies of, you know, habits to wrong speech and wrong action, confused view, uh, confused values, harmful ways of thought, word, and deed, the tendencies may remain. Uh, the question is, will we express them in thought and word? Um, or, I mean, word and deed. In, in deed and word, in speech and action. So, right restraint. <laughs> Wise restraint is important. But, um, making peace with and accepting and understanding uh, harmful tendencies uh, lower chakra distortion, lower chakra blockages, distortions in minds is very important because um, some of these tendencies remain all the way up to complete and perfect awakening. And so then point four to end, he writes, everything happens due to kama, quote, is a misconception. That's a Vedic concept, Hindu, and is not in Buddha Dhamma. <clears throat> and then he goes back to this page, Sankara, kama, kama bija, kama vipaka. So, asava kaya jnana is the key to nibbana. And so, asava kaya jnana is a knowledge of the freedom from asavas, the knowledge of freedom from mental defilements or distorted mental flow. That's the key to nibbana, <clears throat> or that's the final awakening that is nibbana, is awakening that... Um, there, there no longer, um, there no longer arises the tendencies of mind, right? We're talking about not just the seeds coming into fruition in the body, or certain thoughts, um, imagination in the mind. We're talking about the the freedom, the the, the desire to do anything with that is gone the sense of thirst or craving that there's some problem that needs to be resolved is gone <clears throat> um, and so that's you know some people try to think themselves into awakening and it doesn't work um, but if they're surrounded by other people who are also imagining themselves thinking themselves to awakening uh, they can keep the charade up for a long time some people think themselves pause think try to think positively and imagine that they're free from tendencies. Um, that's self-deception. But the arising of tendencies isn't actually the problem itself. <laughs> so if you avoid the awareness of your shadow, 
or you know ugly patterns in mind uh, you can't even realize that their arising isn't even the problem <laughs> the problem is um, tana thirst craving a sense that this is a problem but you can't pretend you can pretend that um, it's it, it the arising is not a problem but actually be feeding it too <clears throat> so it gets very very subtle um, in terms of what happened, you know, the, the, the conditions of mind as one is increasingly free of harmful tendencies. Um, one can restrain oneself pretty well, uh, meaning be careful in, in word and action not to harm other. And know, <clears throat> one can know pretty well what wrong speech and wrong action are. And, um, you know, it's called the Ten Commandments, <laughs> more or less, or, Pachita, you know, the Panchashila, or uh, Dasa, Dasa Shila, Ten Shila, or Five Shila. Um, that gives a pretty good definition of what forms of wrong speech, wrong action to avoid, or restrain oneself from. <clears throat> but the tendencies in mind and the seeds may remain, or do remain. But that may not be a problem either. Um, depending on how we meet it. <laughs> and that's also called healing and balance. And so meeting distortion leavings with love and and uh, wisdom, you know, know yourself, accept yourself, uh, feel it, uh, allow it, allow it, feel it, accept it, understand it, take responsibility for it, um, know its cause, its causation somewhat, <clears throat> and um, move towards forgiveness of self and other. Uh, that's the healing cycle. And that really does purify lower triad blockage. And lower triad blockage is asava, or mental tendencies grasping physically, or mental, you know, mental distortion associated with physical life, desire and aversion, associated with mental life, desire and aversion, all those distorted tendencies, asavas, meant distorted mental flow in relation to body and mind, uh, <clears throat> will get weaker and weaker um, the more we apply the healing cycle to what arises in mind. And um, what arises in mind based on body symptomology, what arises in mind based on relational dynamics with others, what arises in mind when we're alone, by, triggered in any way by anything, uh, all that catalyst. And so, um, <clears throat> you'll know you're more and more well when you have less and less craving and thirst. And less and less craving and thirst means more and more well as is now. Now, one can be in a very lovely place and feel well now, and that's not, you know, uh, complete and perfect enlightenment. <laughs> when the conditions change, if your mind changes greatly and you're greatly disturbed it means that there's still obviously <laughs> craving and uh, aversion and uh, you know all sorts of distorted tendencies in mind remain when we're not well as is in a very distorted environment and so that's <laughs> very uh, hard it's called hard training but um, <clears throat> comma is not really the problem and that's part of what he's saying here, which is really quite deep. Uh, the existence and um, 
mechanism of uh, karmic reactivity, karmic arising, karmic generation, manifestation, um, tendencies themselves in mind are not the problem. It's really a matter of um, those that um, those to which we uh, apply, we still have uh, clinging, craving, or we still have clinging and, and attachment and try to get rid of. And so I think the third patriarch in Chan Chinese Buddhism said something like the great way, Songsan, the great way is easy uh, for those who have no preferences. <laughs> okay? So freedom from grasping and aversion, um, which is a freedom from clinging and attachment, which comes ultimately by a weakening of thirst and craving, and this sense that this there is a problem here. It's the perception that there's a problem here, a hungering, a perception of uh, imperfection, of trouble. I don't like it, or I um, need to have more of it. And you can even say that desire arises from a perception of insufficiency. I mean, obviously, right? I want it because I'm aware that I like it and not having more of it is a problem. <laughs> so, I mean, aversion, grasping and aversion are really um, tied. They're, they're twins. <laughs> they're two sides of the same coin. They're two forms of clinging or attachment. So... <clears throat> Meaning, when we want something, it's because we don't want to not have it. And when we don't want something, uh, it's because we want to be free of it. So, grasping <clears throat> is a form of aversion, and aversion is a form of grasping. Grasping or desiring uh, comes associated with the aversion or rejection of not having, or not holding, or being without. And aversion arises with the perception that <clears throat> I want to be free of it, or um, I want to keep it out. That's what I want. So uh, I want, uh, you know, non-existence, <laughs> or I want uh, it not here. So I hate it and turn it away, push it away. So they're very, they're, they're really the same. Um, all gra so you can't even say grasping and aversion. Better to say grasping aversion or aversion grasping. How about that? Just like light, love, love, light. <clears throat> it's a um, an apparent polarity that's an essential unity or identity. The essential identity of what appears dual and polarized. Just like Heraclitus said, there's the upward downward path. Exactly what Heraclitus said. So, uh, <clears throat> but kama, karma is not the problem, but grasping an aversion, and, which is attachment, is. And we'll know that we're more free of grasping an aversion or distortion or lower chakras or less, less blocked. When I would say there's less um, mental um, hungering, there's less of a feeling that, that uh, I'm hungry. <laughs> mentally hungry. It doesn't mean curious. It means unwell and uh, unfed and unnourished. Um, I'm not well fed. 
is is the perception of of uh, tana craving thirst <clears throat> and um that basic perception that there's a problem here uh becomes weaker and weaker and less and less and less and less one thinks there's a problem here and one realizes more and more that all those problems are uh you know maya they're uh illusory they're apparently real um but they're essentially empty so then next time um going out of this way to nibbana having talked about asavas uh <clears throat> i want to um what do i want to do uh i think that uh i want to look at um the interpretation the page that is here linked called why is correct interpretation of anicca dukkha anatta so important i like to say anicca anatta dukkha most buddhists don't they say anicca dukkha anatta meaning impermanence or changeableness stressfulness or suffering dukkha stress uh and anatta no self or insubstantiality not much different than um sunyata or emptiness why is a correct interpretation of that called the three marks why is that so important um <clears throat> that's good stuff <laughs> that'll help us move you know further and further and further understand right view that leads to sotapanna that leads to greater freedom um you know from from thirsting from hungering from this deep sense that there's something wrong here all the time which is really what the mind the mind is there's some common 3d mind is really or our mind <laughs> in the 3d body mind in the, the 3d mind in the 3d body uh in kamaloka experiences a continual hungering and so a whole lot of tana uh we're going to look further than here on this page at a deeper understanding of the three marks and move to um <clears throat> possibly move to the next discussion of the three marks which is even more involved called um key dhamma concepts that have been hidden or anicca dukkha anatta wrong interpretations one of his earlier posts which means long long-winded uh, but deeper and more intricate and um uh involved analysis uh and then as we get out of that we're going to be moving more and more towards sotapanna and what that's all about so you can say that uh, views action path um is very much about um um clearing the way paving the road nicely from here to sotapanna or greater the next stage of awakening um by uh comparison of wrong view right view uh wrong action right action um and how that relates to kama comic seeds and um freedom from kama which is really freedom from thirst actually it's freedom from um tana uh because kama remains to some degree the seeds may remain all the way up and then how that <clears throat> um how action activity is also um again referred to right view of the three marks um and and the interplay of understanding uh karma and the view of karma the activity of karma 
and moving out of uh, mental distortion flow or unhelpful tendencies uh, and how a deeper understanding of the theory or view of the three marks uh, helps with uh, right action even further or helps us with right speech, right action even more so and, and a deeper analysis of the nature of mind, you know? If you want to know um, mental defilements, mental distortions, the inflow, the outflow um, of asava um, as, you know, karmic products or products of the karmic process and uh, unhelpful tendencies that, that slow our development, um, a micro-analysis of what they are uh, and now analyzed in light of the three marks, right? What is the impermanence uh, of asavas? What is the stressfulness? What is the um, <clears throat> insubstantiality? And so, particularly, uh, anicca anatta, or impermanence and insubstantiality, uh, applying that to a real-time uh, observation of one's mind is really very helpful. And that's exactly what happens in, in um, Vipassana meditation where insight arises. One is seeing um, the truth of the three marks as it pertains to mental activity, what is called mental activity. So, next time we'll look at this uh, why is correct interpretation of these three marks so important, and there <clears throat> we find uh, eight points, and again it talks further about um, how even Sotapanna has um, some asavas, of course. I mean, and uh, it goes all the way up to third stage, through the third stage. These mental, distorted mental flow tendencies still um, arise, but how it's met and the condition of mind is very different, right? It's the salt in the cup. Uh, Karma for the ordinary person, like a teaspoon of salt in a cup of water. Karma for the, or the awakened as a teaspoon of salt in the ocean or the Ganges. The salt remains. It's just much, much more highly dissolved as mind is more and more free of thirst and clinging and attachment and grasping and aversion. That's the point. That's the point. We don't have to worry about karma but you ought to worry about uh, clinging, grasping, aversion, ignorance, and wrong speech, wrong action. So, all right. <clears throat> and then eventually we'll work our way to this anicca dukkha anatta wrong interpretations, which is very involved, 10 points and long. So, uh, I hope it's been helpful. Uh, please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.